You are listening to Forward, a podcast of island readers and writers. This is your host, Taylor Mace. I am joined today by author Anika Mrose Risi. She is the author of more than a dozen books for kids and teens, including the Anna Banana chapter book series and three picture books, including the most recent Love, Sophia on the Moon, two uh, young adult novels, including Always, Forever, Maybe, and the just released on September 8th, Nobody Knows But You. Hi, Anika. Hi, thanks for having me on the podcast. Thank you for joining us and congratulations on your latest release. Thank you. Something that that I'm amazed by is that you can release a picture book in March and then now um, you're releasing a young adult novel um, that has twists and turns and murder in it. How do you sort of go back back and forth um, between those modes when you're writing? That's a great question. Um, In part, it's just how my brain works. Uh, My brain likes to skip all over the place to different kinds of stories at different times. And I'm always thinking 18 thoughts at once. So it makes sense to me to work on three different projects at once. Um, And partly it's how I am as a reader. I also love to read across genres and age levels and topics. So to me, it makes sense to write a lot of different kinds of things. And on the surface, my books are all pretty different, right? So a picture book about a girl who has a fight with her mom and runs away to the moon and they write letters back and forth um, in which there's space for female anger, but also space for um, eternal love, right? Um, It seems pretty different from Always Forever Maybe, which is about obsessive teenage love, a romantic relationship that turns controlling and abusive. But all of my books have some common themes running through them. They all have um, friendship and love in them. Um, Most of them have animals in them as well. I'm a big dog lover and animal lover in general. Um, And almost everything I write is about exploring the depths and boundaries of different forms of love, whether it's the love between a mother and daughter, um, the love between best friends, Um, love between the five little piggies and the wolf. Um, I'm always interested in the boundaries of that and the depths of that. Um, So, and everything that I write has me in it. It has my voice and my humor and um, the kinds of things that I'm thinking about. So um, to me, it it doesn't feel so wild (laughs) to write all over the place. The other thing is that the first thing I wrote um, was the Anna Banana chapter book series. And when I wrote Anna Banana and the Friendship Split, and sold it to the publisher, they wanted four books. So I had to quickly write three more after spending two and a half years writing the first one, which meant I was then, and at the time I was still working full-time as an editor in book publishing. So I would get up early in the morning and I would have 40 minutes in which to work and I had three months in which I had to complete each book, um, which meant there wasn't a lot of wiggle room in that schedule and I had to just really focus into it. Um, And after writing two books that way, I really needed a break for my brain before starting the third one with those same characters. Um, And the only thing that really um, lets you get as involved in thinking about plot and character and all the things that go into a story is thinking about another story that immersively. But I didn't have time to think about an entirely other new chapter book 
So that's when I wrote my first picture book was actually in a one week period that I had off between chapter books to try to just think about something completely different before I went back to the next chapter book so that I could start that one feeling more fresh. Something that really um, stands out for me about your uh, young adult novels, Always, Forever, Maybe, and Nobody Knows But You, is, is the way that you are able to, I mean, when you're reading them, you really feel like you're listening to two teenage girls speak and, or their inner monologue. How is it that you're able to tap into that age group? Thank you. A lot of the hitting the voice exactly right, that kind of fine tuning comes in the second or third draft, right, in the revision. Um, when I spill the first draft out on the page for any age level that I'm writing for, um, I'm still getting to know the character and therefore getting to know the voice or the voices. Um, and the further I write into the story, um, the more the character shown herself to me um, so the the more refined it becomes and then I'll need to go back and and fix the earlier voice to make it really sound not only just like a teenager but like that specific teenager um, so by the time I finished a first draft I know my character extremely well and then I can make her really sound like herself so I'm not trying to make a, any given teenage narrator sound like a teen I'm trying to make that 16 year old girl sound like who she is in that moment and she is a teenager so she will sound like a teenager <laughs> um, but to me character always comes first when i'm drafting um, whether it's figuring out where a story is going it's well what would this character actually do in this situation not what would i the author like to have happen in this situation um, mm -hmm. or if there's some pivotal thing that i know is going to happen in the book because that's what i'm writing toward i have to do that in reverse well who is the character that would end up in this situation and how and why so um, plot always needs to be very true to character um, and characters lead the way on plot um, and the same the same goes with voice when i'm writing can you share um without giving too much away a little bit about nobody knows but you sure um nobody knows but you is actually one of the most fun books to write. Um, writing a novel isn't always fun, as I always tell kids when I when I talk to them. You know, it's okay to. I'm a professional writing and some writer, and sometimes I hate writing. Um, <laughs> there are always parts of it that are a slog, um, but there are always parts of it that are fun too. And the key is to figure out um, what's interesting and what's fun to you, the writer, and to to hold on to that and write towards that. Um, and when I started the draft of Nobody Knows But You. I knew a few things about it. I knew it would be a young adult thriller. I knew that it would involve a brief but life-changing friendship, um, a deep essential bond formed across a single summer because when I was a teenager, I went away to summer camps and summer programs um, and growing up on an island off the coast of Maine um, where everyone had known me since I was born. Um, as a teenager, it didn't feel like there was a lot of room and space for the kind of reinvention that a teenager is constantly trying to go through. But at summer camp, nobody knew who I was. Um, they only knew what I told them and who I was in that moment. Um, and it felt like those friends who'd known me for only a few weeks knew me better than anyone had ever known me who'd known me my whole life. Um, whether that's true or not, of course, is a different story. But I was really interested in that kind of um, deep, um, life-changing friendship that can happen over a short time. So I knew that the story of the friendship 
and whatever secrets were held within it would be told in the form of letters typed from one friend to the other after the summer was over because also writing letters to my friends was essential to me as a teenager. Um, and I knew that the other friend would not write back. Um, and I also knew that in order to fill up the story, I'd be interspersing it with other um, items like news clips and text messages. There's a court transcript in there and social media posts from other campers and counselors who were there at the camp when um, the murder happened, um, which reveals other secrets and perspectives. But other than those things, I didn't know anything. I didn't know what the secrets in the friendship would be or why um, the letters would go unanswered. I didn't know who these friends were or what had come between them. Um, so these things I learned as I wrote and I let the characters and sort of my questions um, that I just alluded to lead the way, those questions of how do our friendships shape who we are and how well can you really know someone else or how well can you even know yourself at 16? And, um, and then also how do the lies that a person tells us reveal deeper truths about them than if they hadn't lied? Um, so this is a story about deep friendship, but troubled friendship. Um, it's a story about um, figuring out who you are, which is sort of what all teenage stories are about. And, um, and it's a story of a summer camp that ends in a, um, a death and sort of telling the, the story of that, um, of what happened. Both of your young adult novels are somewhat I guess, dark, for lack of a better <laughs> term. Um, what draws you to these sorts of stories? I am, I love to read stories with darkness in them. I love to read um, complicated characters. I like characters who make um, imperfect choices or downright bad choices and have to work their way through them where we like the person, but we are not rooting for what they're doing necessarily. Um, I find that really interesting. Uh, there's a, you know, a lot of talk in um, reading and writing and publishing circles about unlikable characters, especially unlikable female characters, and um, how sometimes there's reader backlash against that concept, um, even though we don't really have such a thing as unlikable males, or if we do, they're loved, such as um, Humbert Humbert and Lolita. Mm. Um, so I do not expect my characters to be perfect. And in fact, I embrace them not being perfect. And when you're imperfect and you're making some imperfect choices, um, that can lead to darker things. And I, I think it's real. I think um, most teenagers, even those who had a um, very lucky upbringing like I did, still have darkness in their lives. Um, they're dealing with some really intense emotions for the first time. Right, The first time you're incredibly, incredibly sad as a teenager and with all those teenage hormones going on and that you can feel it to a different depth. You have the kind of fight with your parents you never had when you were a kid um, or the kind of fight with your friends. And the first time you go through that at 13 or 14 or however old you are, you actually don't know that it will be okay because you've never experienced it getting better before. Um, and so there's a real even... Kids, like I said, who have the most um, charmed upbringings um, have a lot of sudden darkness in their lives as teenagers because of the, that intensity of the emotional experience, um, even with what we would consider small, not very dark problems, such as a, a small fight with a friend. Um, it feels very intense and very real. Um, 
so I, th I think those kinds of stories are true to the age group. Um, I was an editor before I was an author. I edited um, novels for Scholastic and then Simon and & Schuster and then HarperCollins. And um, my specialty was what we would call dark and edgy young adult. Um, and I know from some of the authors who wrote the much, much darker books than mine, um, they, they all get letters from teenagers saying, this is my life, you've written my life. And they would feel concerned, oh, you, you know, I hope you're not spiraling on drugs or you know, having an abusive relationship or whatever thing it is. But the letters would sometimes make clear, it's just, I also have feelings this strong, right? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily I'm going through these terrible things. Although some people are going through terrible things and um, seeing themselves reflected on the page can be um, empowering. Um, it, it can take away some of the shame of what you're going through that it's not your fault. It's just a thing that is happening. And, but knowing that it could happen to other people and reading those stories and reading the stories of people who get through it and are okay is part of the, the hope of young adult literature. When you are, are giving out writing advice, what are some of the things that you um, make sure to to let them know about, about writing? Oh gosh. Um, it depends on the kid or the adult and what they need because every writer needs something different in their process is something that I um, definitely learned quickly as an editor working with many different published authors, um, trying to give them what they needed to help get their drafts um, to, to, to the right place. Um, but in general, most writers need to hear um, that it's hard for everyone, that even a published author, even someone who's published dozens or hundreds of books, um, doesn't know how to write the next book until they're writing it. They have to figure it out as they go along. And so it's hard every time. You can get a little bit more um, confidence of, I've done this before, and so I will do it again and learn how to pep talk yourself. But every single time you sit down to write, um, you have to do the work of writing and that's sometimes really fun and sometimes not fun. And so knowing that it goes through those ebbs and flows and that there are days where you can't wait to sit down and work on this new idea um, are amazing, beautiful part of the process, but it's not like that every day. And there are days where you have to sit down and figure out a way to make yourself do the work. Um, and knowing that the fact that it feels hard doesn't mean you're writing badly um, or doesn't mean um, that you should just give up and go outside and be a professional tree climber instead, which is what I sometimes want to do when I'm in the <laughs> middle of a draft. Um, sometimes I do need to give myself permission to go outside and climb a tree or do something else um, and come back to it. Um, and sometimes I need to remind myself that it's not always fun and I just need to start and write a little bit um, and get through. Um, a lot of writing for me is actually tricking myself into writing. Um, so sometimes I need to take my dog to the dog park with a, um, you know, a, a notebook and a pen instead of my computer, leave the draft behind and um, work on my book that's in first person, but write down in third person just what will happen next in the chapter. So I'm not really writing the chapter. I'm just writing notes on what could happen. And then, you know, lo and behold, when I come home, I have all these things that I can switch into first person and a way to start. Um, so finding different ways to trick yourself into starting. Um, is a um, is key to continuing in this um, field. I have a lot of writer friends who always stop for the day, knowing where they're going to start the next day. 
for me, I love revising much more than I love drafting. Um, some writers don't revise at all as they go. I revise constantly as I go. And one of my treats when I start is getting to revise what I wrote the day before, which gets me into the headspace of it. And then just write a little more something messy that I'll get to revise the next morning. Um, so figuring out what those tricks are for you is part of it. But for me, um, when I talk with kids especially, I always talk about how um, each of my book, different books is about something that I'm really interested in, right? So when you're figuring out what to write um, and also figuring out how to continue, you have to find what's interesting to you in the story. Um, and sometimes if you start out with something that's interesting to you and you write and write and write, and then you get to that place that we all get to of, ugh, this is terrible and I should quit and nobody's ever going to want to read this and I don't even want to read this and I should just stop writing it, um, there are a couple things to do. The first is to go outside and climb a tree and come back and see if you feel differently. Um, the second is to remember what you love in the book and put in more of that. Um, and maybe there's, maybe more needs to be happening that's really interesting to you. Um, so f find out what would interest you in that scene and add it in. Um, and the third, um, and this is a really important one for me, is to give yourself permission to write something that nobody will ever want to read. You know, when you have that feeling of, this is terrible, nobody will ever want to read it, say, good, nobody ever will read it. I just have to write a terrible first draft of it, and then I'm going to revise it and revise it and revise it and make it better. But I can't revise it if I don't have that terrible first draft. This does not need to be something perfect. It doesn't even need to be something good. It just needs to be something that exists so I can revise it into something worth reading. Um, so when you start to worry about the audience or worry about um, whether it's right, that doesn't matter in the drafting stage. Um, it, it just has to exist and you will go, because revising, of course, um, is most of writing. That's interesting that you revise as you go and that you love that part. <laughs> I do. Maybe it's because I used to be an editor. I feel, um, I feel like I'm a better reviser than I am a writer. I have friends who love drafting and hate revising, so it's, it's different for everyone. And that's another piece of advice I always give writers is to um, figure out which parts of the process you love and which parts are always a little bit hard or always less fun. Because then when they're less fun, you can push aside those doubts of, oh, the fact that it feels this way must mean I'm not doing a good job. It must mean it's not a worthwhile project, um, especially with something that you spend a long time writing. Different kinds of doubts creep in, and writing is a mental game. <laughs> um, you know, giving yourself the tools to get over those mental hurdles um, is, a, is a big part of the process. You know, um, who lasts or doesn't last in this industry, which is not a meritocracy. Um, mm -hmm often has so much to do with who is able to persevere, whether that's through having the resources to do so or having um, the bandwidth to do so or, you know, and um, it's just, yeah, keeping on going. Your publisher doesn't like this book? Okay, you're gonna have to write another one if you want to keep publishing. Um, but also, you're not having fun writing this draft? Well, you have to keep going and <laughs> find the things that will make it fun again. And for me, knowing, oh, right, I always feel miserable, especially in the early stage. Uh, I, I like the initial flurry of ideas and sort of getting going with that. But then there's a moment where that peters out um, sort of a third of the way into the book and all my doubts start to creep in and I have so much drafting ahead of me. Um, so for me, too, having revised a bunch up to that point, has helped me 
find what I love in the story that I want to keep going toward because it's um, okay. Well, but in its best form, it might feel a little bit like this. Um, and also it's a reminder that I'll get to come back and do that. Um, and, and also I'm just a control freak who doesn't like messes and first drafts are very messy. Um, <laughs> it's hard for me to leave too much mess in my wake, even though I know I'm just going to have to go back and change everything anyway. Um, but yeah, but knowing, okay, it's always hard for me at this point helps me to know I don't have to therefore doubt and throw away the entire project. Um, and I will get to the part that I, that I enjoy doing. Not only did Anika release her young adult novel this month, Nobody Knows But You, um, in March, uh, her third picture book, Love, Sophia on the Moon, came out, and it is just a sweet story about a girl who gets in a fight with her mom and decides she's going to go live on the moon. Um, <laughs> and Anika um, has agreed um, and what is such a treat um, to read some of that book for us today. What you're missing here is the amazing illustrations by Mika mm. Song um, that are just adorable and fun and add so much to the story. One of the real treats of writing picture books is that at least half the story is told visually. And I try to write as few art notes as possible. Um, one of the only art notes for this book um, at the very beginning before the text start was Sophia gets put in a timeout. Um, when the timeout is over, she packs her bags. So that's not text that's in the book, but you see that in the illustrations before the story begins. And then you see these handwritten letters that I'm going to read you some of now. Dear mom, I'm running away and won't ever come back. From now on, I live on the moon. Don't try to stop me. Love, Sophia. Dear Sophia, oh no, that's a shame. I was about to make cookies. Now who will lick the beater? Perhaps Mr. Wubbles will help. Have a good trip. Love, Mom. Dear Mom, there is mail on the moon, so I guess you could send cookies. Mr. Wubbles came with me. Don't even try to get us back. Love, Sophia. Dear Sophia, these cookies taste best when you dip them in milk, but I couldn't send milk to the moon. There's milk here, though, if you want it. Please tell Mr. Wubbles I'll miss him. Love, Mom. Dear Mom, I don't need milk. The cookies are great dunked in moon juice. Mr. Wubbles and our new friend, Fergbert, agree. We met him while riding moonicorns and chasing starfish. There are no timeouts on the moon. We like it here very much. Love, Sophia. Dear Sophia, since you're not coming home, I'll need to find a new use for your bed. If you see any cow jumping over the moon, will you tell them they can sleep here? Love, Mom. Dear Mom, cows say there are no bedtimes on the moon. We don't even need a bed. We will stay up all night playing moon ball and making messes, and no one will yell if things break. Love, Sophia. Dear Sophia, Good news. I found someone nice to sleep in your bed. His name is Grorg and he came here from the moon. He says he ran away and is never going back because the man on the moon was so mean. I've invited him to stay with me. 
What should I make for dinner? I bet he'd like spaghetti. I'm glad you were having so much fun. Love, Mom. And I'll stop there. But as you can see, <laughs> the letters go back and forth. And Mom is pretty clever in trying to convince Sophia without letting her know. She's convincing her that maybe home isn't so bad after all. Um, I mentioned I try to include as few art notes as possible. If you've seen this book, you've seen the amazing things Mika did with the cows and the moonicorns. Um, I did not include any kind of indication what Mr. Wubbles would be. So I didn't know until I saw the first sketches, will that be some kind of pet? Will it be an imaginary friend? Will it be a stuffed animal? Um, and Mr. Wubbles is a cat who adds a lot to the story too. Love Sophia on the Moon is, is just a delightful book. And um, Anika is right, the, the illustrations are amazing. Um, I love the color scheme of everything um, and that is out now, as is Nobody Knows But You. Thank you so much, Anika, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And thank you for all the Island Readers and Writers does um, for these main communities, um, like the one I grew up in and I'm in now. Um, it's an amazing organization, and it's always a pleasure to, to do school visits and other events with you guys. listening to Forward, a podcast of Island Readers and Writers. Get our new episodes every other Wednesday by subscribing to Forward on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. For more about Island Readers and Writers programs, visit www.islandreadersandwriters.org.